Hey folks, before we get into today's show and our exclusive interview with the one and only Justin Wells, I want to take a moment to thank each and every one of you who have listened to the show, shared or recommended this podcast. Uh, we are growing and starting to do numbers that's way beyond my wildest dreams when I started this thing this year. I currently have listeners in 14 countries. The latest to come aboard was Spain. And I had I know 26 years ago when I was in middle school taking Spanish 1 and Spanish 2, shout out Johnny Roark, that I would be producing something that was listened to in Spain later in life. I probably would have applied myself, studied more, and actually took it more serious. That being said, two years of Spanish, the only words I remember are hola and el toco discos, which is, of course, record players, one of my favorite things in this entire world. So shout out Spain, all other countries, United States and abroad. We thank you for listening. And without further ado, we will play a quick commercial and get into our interview with Justin Wells. Formerly of the Southern rock band Fifth on the Floor, and with two solo albums under his belt, Justin Wells has established himself as one of the great, not just independent musicians today, but one of the best musicians, period. His 2020 album, The United State, was not just my favorite album all of that year, but probably my favorite album of the last decade. Today, we will sit down with Justin Wells himself, talk about the past, his time in Fifth on the Floor, some of his earliest memories and musical influences, the present, touring in and after a pandemic, as well as what lies ahead. So get ready to crawl on broken legs, because this is That One Show, Season 2, Episode 3, Justin Wells. And welcome to that one show with Brian Combs, episode three here on season two. We're going to dedicate today's 
podcast to the one and only Justin Wells, who is kind enough to join us now. How are you, Justin? I'm well, brother. How are you doing? I am fantastic. First of all, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to do this. I know you're busy touring this summer, and uh, I'm just glad that we're going to spend a few moments with you today to talk about music and whatever else comes up. Uh, so, Politics, uh, religion, all yeah. the... Yeah, all the hot button issues. That's yeah. all we're going to talk Let's about. Let's make we're some not... fans today. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I know you, uh, did you, I think you grew up in the South. Was it Louisiana? Yeah. Uh, I spent the first part of my childhood in a town called Blanchard, Louisiana, which is uh, west of Shreveport by about 30, 40 minutes and uh, almost Texas. You know, you move up here, you tell people you're from Louisiana, they're immediately New Orleans. And it's like, Bro, that's like <laughs> that's like Paducah to Ashland. You know what I mean? It's it's a whole different part of the country. It feels like, but uh, and then moved up to Kentucky. I got a job at at the Toyota plant, and uh, that's probably why we're sitting here talking. Absolutely. So, growing up, uh, was music a big presence in your home? Yes and no, man. It's kind of interesting. No, in terms of like. I don't come from a family of musicians by any stretch. Mm -hmm. um, there was a guitar that my cousin had that was originally my mom's and I got it back and strung it wrong and tuned it wrong and sucked. Um, but my parents listen to a lot of music, man. And it's, you know, that felt very diverse. You know, dad was a big kind of like classic rock guy. Mom's a big like Motown gown, you know, Diana Ross and how green that kind of thing. And, um, obviously all that is present in me today. Uh, but what's interesting is, you know, dad specifically would just get all over one album, you know? So if he's got Tom Petty and it's full moon fever, man, and that's it. He ain't looking for the next Tom Petty record and looking <laughs> for the old Tom Petty records. So it's weird. It's like they're passive fans, but they're very aggressive. Like, you know, it, there's a pink Floyd album that I just, remember just being so fundamental to my youth man it's just on loop you know he would just wear out albums so i definitely learned to love music long before i was a musician yeah absolutely i was the same way uh growing up uh most mornings my dad worked right literally right next door to the to the grade school i went to so i would ride with him and he uh he loved music and that's just you know my introduction uh was whatever he listened to at that time. And this, this was in the 1980s. So a lot of U2, uh, a lot of the cars and, uh, when appetite for destruction hit, we listened to that sucker for like a year every morning. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then I think, uh, what was, uh, you know, outside of what your parents listened to, can you remember the first, uh, solo artist and or band you discovered on your own and got into? Yeah, if I thought about it for a second, I bet I could. I know that, like, you know, so we're getting to, I was born in 82, so we're getting to, like, middle school, right? And grunge was around, um, but we're a little after that. Um, I definitely remember listening to, like, Boys to Men and Mariah Carey and, like, slow dancing at the Blossom Ball. Like, that was definitely my jam. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, I think anybody, first, yeah, go ahead. I, I mean, uh, like the thing that like the first record that felt like mine was counting crows august and everything after which 
maybe nostalgia, but I don't think it is. It, it's probably my favorite record of all time for about a hundred different reasons. And like, even though I didn't get into country music till a good bit later, you know, there's such a country influence on what they did back then in that band. Um, you know, absolutely. I love that album, man. Uh, oh, T-Bone. I, <laughs> that's a T-Bone Burnett joint. Yeah. And it's funny cause later in the season, I'm doing a, uh, I'm co-hosting a, uh, episode on the five best, albums of the nineties and I've been revisiting a lot of those albums and that's one of them, man. And I, I listened to it a lot and I forgot how great that album is. I actually just front to back. Yeah. There's not, there's not a wasted second on that album. It's so lush. And, uh, yeah, man. I mean, I think, yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that you moved to Kentucky and, and worked at the, the Toyota plant. And for those people, uh, listening outside of Kentucky, that's in Georgetown, which is central Kentucky, right outside of Lexington. Uh, and you also mentioned that you had picked up a guitar from your cousin and, try, and you know, and, and tuned it all wrong and stuff. But when did you <laughs> seriously begin, you know, playing, writing music and uh, so forth and so on? Well, so I grew up in uh, Cynthiana, Kentucky, you know, so the, the Kentucky part of my childhood was in Cynthiana, which is just north of there. Um, you know, within an hour of Lexington and a little small town, you know, you work at the 3M plant or, you know, subsequently the, or later on the, the Toyota plant. Uh, but, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a Dairy Queen, there's a Mexican restaurant. There's not a lot going on is what I'm getting at. And so like a lot of guys I know from small towns from that time, mind you, you know, the internet was not pervasive yet. And I was still a little punk ass kid, you know, stealing tablature out of the back of a guitar world magazine, trying to learn songs. <laughs> um, so all you had to listen to was classic rock, man. You know, some of that alternative, some of that, you know, more odd, odd stuff. Cake was starting to show up on, on this other station, but, um, so we played heavy music, man. You mentioned appetite. I mean, appetite was fundamental. Um, Metallica was fundamental. I was also like a big Pink Floyd kid, et cetera. And so the band I was in that I started when I was a freshman in high school, uh, it was all heavy music, but like kind of like hand in hand, like almost immediately I'm writing songs and they're like love songs. They're like, you know, songwriter songs um, that didn't fit that band. And I knew that and I, I wasn't foolish enough to try to bring those songs to that band. But, you know, then I found guys, you know, at that point, the closest thing to what I do now that I'd listen to, I was a big George Jones kid. You know, um, the, the only country music that we really listened to in my house was George Jones and a little bit of Hank Williams uh, Sr. And that was it, man. All the 90s stuff. I don't know. I don't know why, but like those are the kids that picked on me and stuff. So like I hated that music. I hated all that kind of like hokey stuff. And I've learned to appreciate it since. But it, it you know, that kind of stayed with me um, later. So I say all that to say I found you know, I was listening to George or whatever, but also these songwriters like Matthew Ryan, who is fantastic. I've become friends with uh, Sean Mullins, who is amazing, and so on and so forth. Uh, so all that is kind of the, the the building blocks of what I'm doing now, I think. Yeah, and, uh, you know, eventually you, uh, you were in a band, uh, Fifth on the Floor, and that was the first time you ever got on my radar. And uh, I think y'all put two albums out, right? 
Well, yeah, uh, three. But three, okay, buried, my bad. No, 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 no. That means I did my job. I buried one so dead that <laughs> find it. We did three full links, and we did a we did a four song EP after that came out after we had announced we were breaking up. It was kind of like a you know a bookend to our career. Well, you all uh, didn't make some noise, especially in in Kentucky and in Lexington. There, you played a lot of live shows. Uh, I remember you played. I was in Lexington one night. And you all uh, I, did. You all play the Dame? Am I, am I crazy? Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I, I thought I saw you there. Uh, you know, back in early 2010s. We barely got our foot in the door before they, you know, before they tore down the block and the Dame moved up the road. But it wasn't the same. The Dame, you know, it, it lost some of its luster. But yeah, we played a couple of pretty poorly attended shows in the in the old Dame, man. But that. That place also was very formative for me. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that you were writing songs that were, you know, wouldn't write for a band that you you were in because it was a lot heavier. But, uh, to you know, Fifth on the Floor, if, if I had to pigeonhole them in to what, you know, they sounded like, it was just an old school Southern rock band as far as the sound goes. Uh, yeah. as, far as, as far as being in, you know, the influence and, uh, I mean, and so what, what do you think about that? Do you, what would you consider fifth on the floor, just rock, Southern rock or a little bit? Well, of it's funny, like, as we're saying that, like I, I was talking about my high school band earlier and like writing songs that didn't fit that band, but I, I've kind of realized I'm like towards the end of fifth on the floor, I was doing the same thing. And, you know, the, a lot of those songs are what people know from my solo career now fifth on the floor man in my head anyway i don't know how well we executed this but like i always saw us we were it's like a band of punk guys that never had listened to punk we weren't <laughs> you know it's like we had so much punk rock energy and attitude but we didn't know what that was necessarily <laughs> and uh and there was heaviness to that and i think that's where some of that, so you know we got called southern rock a lot and i kind of bristled at that at the time because a lot of those bands that people think of when they think of southern rock skinner or almonds or any of those guys you know we were just a lot faster <laughs> than those dudes um i don't know i think there was a fair amount of bluegrass influence in the speed uh and there was folk in some of those songs and there was just downright drinking buddy stuff you know uh what i set out for it to be was kind of like a collective as much as possible man i was very influenced by the band you know even though robbie robertson wrote a lot of those songs it still felt like something akin to a democracy and that's what I always set out to do with that band and honestly that's why it was so cool and that's also why it, it didn't work because you know um, different people pulling in different directions. You know, that can be a little tough. Democracy moves slow, as we know. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, after you broke up, uh, a couple, two or three years, I guess, went by, and then you released your debut solo album, I think, in 2016, Down in the Distance. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, I love that album, man. So let's talk a little bit about that. Obviously, we, we would probably need to start with the dogs because arguably that's probably your most well-known song uh i don't know if you would agree with that but i mean uh I th you you had recently released a uh 
re-recorded acoustic version of that and you wrote a nice little essay about how much that song uh has done for your you know for you and um uh, you know the the fan group on facebook that, that i follow is called the dogs <laughs> I, I allow your fans can send themselves dogs yeah so, i love that yeah and uh that was probably the first song i heard from you solo and i immediately loved it um but it's actually not my favorite on the album. My favorite on the on the album is the Highway Less Taken. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Uh, not, but I do love the dogs. Don't get me wrong. And I I love that entire album. So, can you talk a little bit about you know the process of you know writing and recording a solo album? I, that had to be you know a pretty big leap for you. Uh, yeah. Yeah, man. It, it, a lot of emotion. First of all, I'll just say, without naming what my favorite is, the darks is also not my favorite on that record. But I, but I love that song, and I love that people respond to it. I especially love that people respond to it because I felt like at the time that I was writing it, you know, writing it for my crew and for others like me. So it's essentially for touring musicians and kind of specifically independent touring musicians who you know play those shows to 10, 15 people. Um, so for it to kind of like resonate with so many other people is both surprising and humbling. And, uh, yeah, man, it, it, it means a lot to me. I dig that. It's, it's, it's not a pretty song, <laughs> but it kind of, I see that as, is this kind of, you know, fifth on the floor had achieved a certain amount of success in a time when Kentucky music wasn't really on the map. I'm not saying we had anything to do with that. Um, you know, my favorite band was Sunday Valley and they were <laughs> rather than hell and honestly a lot cooler than <laughs> what most people knows these days. But, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. We'd achieved a certain amount of success and everything fell apart. And, and the docs to me is kind of like the transition song. In fact, both my manager at the time and my producer were like, not sure that it should be on the album, but it felt like the redheaded stepchild and <laughs> my manager said uh you know if, if i'm wrong i'm wrong and he was he was real wrong uh, <laughs> um as far as specific to that to dawn the distance and the rest of the album man like i, I just didn't know what i was gonna do you know i didn't plan for the band to break up it just kind of happened and uh was was then a father had two kids and had responsibilities outside of just a free bar tab you know what i mean and uh, mm -hmm. a lot of emotion feeling real worried about what my future held you know i did i don't i've worked for myself and been a musician making my living that way for most of my life yeah so, i'm glad you know yeah i'm glad you mentioned you know being a father uh i think the closing track on the album is little darlings and i'm pretty sure that's about being a father and uh mm -hmm. as a father myself uh, that song always gets me, man. Uh, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. Yeah, it was. That was supposed to be just for me and my wife, man. And my my pal Tom Nato talked me into putting on the record. I'm glad he did. That that's probably the oldest song. I think that's the oldest song on that record. I just made it on tour. My wife was pregnant. I hadn't even met my girls yet. And just wanted to, you know, do something for them and for her, <laughs> you know. And, it just kind of came out of me and uh i'm glad that it's on the record because that that record wouldn't have come out if she hadn't you know she put a boot in my ass man she's like 
you know, <laughs> if you if you quit this music dream, you will have taught our daughters how to quit. And <laughs> she may as well thrown down the gauntlet. Boy, I was ready. That's right. That's, that's right. Well, lucky for all of us, she did. Because uh, you've yeah. produced, uh, you know, your your two solo albums are some of my my favorite music of the last, you know, decade, and and I mean that. Um, yeah. You mentioned tour, and I, uh, you tour a lot. Uh, I mean, you, for lack of a better word, are a road warrior. <laughs> uh, I think that just means that I'm heavily scarred. <laughs> <laughs> what a give us a couple of your favorite rooms or venues to play in uh, across the country. Oh man, Southgate House up in Newport. Oh um, yeah, that's one of them. Uh, more recently, very recently, uh, Knuckleheads out in Kansas City. Man, I've been trying to get in that room for a long time and um, played it for played the the old room. I, I played Knuckleheads before, but I played the OG room recently and had a a very beautiful, very welcoming audience. But uh, dude, you know. <laughs> It's a bar, and I don't get to play it anymore, but the Thirsty Beaver in Charlotte, North Carolina is my favorite bar around and definitely cut my teeth in that town, in that bar. Uh, shout out to Toodles Pumpkin Inn up in Circleville, Ohio. You know, some of these rooms I don't play anymore. You know, we've we've moved to other rooms for whatever logistics reasons, but, um, you know, you talk about being a road dog, like you, you find these places that are good to you, and they're good to you before you deserve it, and um, if you're worth a shit, you remember that and, and and you got love for those people, you know. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned the Southgate House. That's one of my favorites as well. For those listening that may have never been, it's it's legitimately a old church converted into a music venue. And it's just got a vibe, uh, unlike probably any other venue I've been in. It's there's nothing like it, man. You know, there's nothing. I don't see how there could be. I think it was built in the 1850s. And the yeah, and the East Southgate house, man, the one behind before that, the old mansion was also one of my favorites, you know. Basement Absolutely. East down in Nashville. I love them Dukes over in Indy. Love them. Um played a lot of them and a lot of those venues aren't around anymore, man. Absolutely. So uh I, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law are super fans of you richard and audrey fink uh i'm sure you know them and they they found out a couple of days ago that you and i were going to be recording this interview and they were very excited and they had one question that they wanted me to ask you so i'm going to ask that now <laughs> i promised them i would and it's actually along the lines of venue. Oh, yeah. lost you can you back that up a hair my mama called <laughs> that's all right uh, i was talking about the finks uh yep the finks and, yep and they got and they had a question yeah, they want to know what is the one venue that's on your bucket list that you want to play before it's all said and done, before you lay the guitar down for the final time that you have not got to play yet. Any in the world. Brian, you there? Yeah. You're going to have to chop up this interview, dude. She called me back. I just told her to stop calling me. That's okay. okay. That's okay, man. I figured Zoom would, would put us on airplane mode. Okay, so they had a question, and that's the last thing I got. I apologize. That's that's cool, man. I, that's cool. I'll repeat it again. That's no worries. So they want to know, what's the one venue that you have never played that you would want to play before you lay the guitar down for the final time? What's the one bucket list room that you'd say, man, I, if, I, if I play there, I can I can call it a day? Well, straight up, uh, I ain't putting a guitar down 
they can't pick it up no more. That's a fact, man. Happen until I'm dead. But uh, uh, I, that's a little tough, man. I've I've played the the rooms for the most part, the reasonable rooms. But I would say high, high, high on that list uh, would be the Bijou down in Knoxville. Um, I have played the Tennessee Theater, which is a bigger room. Um, some may say a nicer room, but Bijou is, in my opinion the better sounding room and has <laughs> bigger heart. I, I've seen some rad shows there and, and still have not played there. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to put that as my theater down in Knoxville, Tennessee. All right. Let's move on now to your second uh, solo album, the United State, which was released in 2020, right in the middle of, you know, the world being on fire, basically. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, because I, I, I've I've mentioned to you in the past, that was far and away my favorite album of that year. And it wasn't even close, man. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that album. You know, it was released probably four or five months into, you know, COVID shutting everything down. And whether it was or not, there's some songs on there that could be interpreted as being influenced from all that. So how much of the album, you know, was written prior to COVID or after COVID at all, if any? Uh, all of it was pre-COVID. Wow. Um, okay. All of it was pre-COVID. And, uh, uh, but it, where I think it maybe hits you, and I, and I hope I did this successfully as a writer, what I was trying to write about, it wasn't influenced by COVID, man, but what it was very much influenced by was and I kind of, this is like a cliche at this point, but everything is so divided. And it's like <laughs> infinitely worse now than it was when I wrote it. In some ways, I feel like you can't talk about any topic. You can't talk about how you feel about ketchup packets without <laughs> some fool online taking the, the diametric 180 degree opposite side and calling your mother everything but a Christian. And uh, it's, it's obnoxious. I don't really have answers about it other than thinking that social media is a 20 headed demon. But I set out, I was really thinking about country music and roots music. And I was thinking about what country music is at a fundamental level to me, which is, you know, and blues too, you know, same, same music played slightly different. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's human experience, right. It's just, it's just human struggle. And I'm like, well, what if, what if I wrote an album that was country music or roots music as concept rather than necessarily as genre? What if I, you know, what if I blossom that out into an entire album instead of just a couple of lyrics or what have you? And, uh, and so the idea that I, that I hope I executed was to do that, you know, chronologically in a life and look at, you know, the beats and everybody's life's different. Not everybody has kids, not everybody gets married, not everybody gets heartbreak, whatever, but like, you know, the kinds of things that, that people write about in roots music, let's put those, let's make a life. Right. And, uh, I seem to like be simultaneously dealing with a lot of these. I was reckoning with a lot of this stuff at the same time. My sister just had my nephew. So I was getting to see her go through childbirth and having a young child I also lost all, you know, the, my three remaining grandparents in a matter of two or three years. Um, and all that was just kind of percolating in my head, man. And, uh, you know, um, 
I, I kind of basically sat down with a game plan and, and even song titles in some instances um, before I had this record. And I thought this was going to be a long-term project. I really saw the United States coming out, you know, as album three or four or five, you know, I thought it was just going to take time. And uh, when I showed some of this to my producer, he's like, that, that needs to be the record we make. <laughs> so it's like, well, it's going to, it's going to take some time to write. He's like, well, you don't have time. You need to write it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Would you consider uh, so it a concept man. album? Uh, no, I don't think so. Only because the only reason I say no, and I feel like I'm, I'm maybe dodging a thing. First of all, concert records can be really screwy. Um, I, and, and also, I think a lot of albums are concept records, whether they say they are or not, because there's a through line on the good ones anyway. Mm-hmm. There is definitely a through line in this, but I don't see it as a single character. I see it as, you know multiple characters uh live in multiple times in their lives and and just what i was looking for was that uh kind of shared experience so yeah. i would say i would say yes and no which i know is kind of a cowardly answer <laughs> well, you mentioned the multiple characters and then the you know the copy i have which was is the yellow vinyl uh the insert the artwork is literally a collage of people's photographs uh, yeah i'd say several dozen including you yes, know the cover, the cover and i think you said you you know the, the cover is beautiful it's a beautiful beautiful black and white portrait and am i mistaken in that you actually had never met that lady that's on the cover never, of the album listen to this never met her never met the photographer i've since spoken with a photographer and uh had a pretty enjoyable conversation so uh that photographer and the subject her name is maria um both down in mexico uh that that photo was for use and that so much like spoke to what i was trying to do with this album man like you're talking about um that photo collage all those photos are of people that i named in the record and they're they're anybody that had any contribution large or small to the record even if it was influence um i listed it's not even a thanks it's more like a credits to me because the entire concept of a, of a solo album is hilarious. You know, hilarious. You see how many people went into that record. That's just my name in the big font, but it's ridiculous to have a solo album as just being one person's art. So many, and, and even Spotify is starting to get on this train of listing producers. I think that, you know, musicians are starting to be listed, but uh, yeah. Anyway, long story short, my artist got him Keith Neltner up in Cincinnati um who was putting this together he used that photo of maria just as a placeholder just as a proof of concept for what he was trying to show me and he did that with several photos and and it was so striking it was striking for a number of reasons but not the least of which is she bears a pretty striking resemblance to one of my grandmothers uh ruby who i named one of those songs after and uh just for all these reasons man i, I was tearful when i saw it and I was like, that's got to be that, you know, is that your photo? Can I license it? And he's like, it is not my photo, but you can license it. It's it's free license. I could have done it without ever contacting that photographer, but I wanted to I wanted to make a connection. And I know for a fact that I got um, a copy of that vinyl record to Maria uh, in her village. That's awesome. And I, I don't know if she can play it. I never heard back. I did. I did find her granddaughter. And was able to talk to her a little bit, you know, a little bit of communication barrier. I, my Spanish is pretty bad, but uh, 
yeah so hope hope, hope she likes it <laughs> that's awesome uh i won't keep you but a few more minutes uh we're recording this on zoom and i think they only let you go 40 minutes so we've probably got about nine minutes left well, I'll, I'll stop talking so much <laughs> that's fine man. that's what they're here to people want to hear you not me uh yeah. Let's talk a little bit of, uh, of a song that you released for charity earlier this year, Blue Moon of Kentucky, of course, a cover of uh, one of the all-time great bluegrass songs. And, and you, uh, you know, have and continue to donate any proceeds to the, uh, to the relief fund for, for Western Kentucky. Uh, what gave you the idea of, uh, of, A, recording that song and doing it as a stripped-down, uh, you know, almost like a ballad-type song? Well, man um... – I'm sure like you, uh, you know, when those tornadoes hit, uh, I was heartbroken and in our backyard, you know, yeah. we're not from Western Kentucky, but that's our people's man. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a shared experience. I mean, the thing is, you know, there's 120 Kentucky. counties in Kentucky and if, and we, we really, and, and this is not a cliche, we consider everybody our neighbor here, man. That's a fact, man. That's a fact. And, I, you know, probably most states are like that. But Kentucky, it, it, you know, I'm biased. But uh, <laughs> Kentucky, you know, we, we take care of our own. And uh, I don't – I'm not good at anything, man. I, I'm, You know, I, I don't weld. I can't uh, build houses. I just sing a little three or four chord songs. And uh, that's what um, – that's what I wanted to do. I didn't know what song. I'll tell you. I don't think I told anybody. I was <laughs> – I was with uh, Elvis's Kentucky Rain because I decided that day what I was going to do. And I was fiddling with Elvis's Kentucky Rain, but I really couldn't get that <laughs> where I felt like I could present it. And so, you know, we all know Blue Moon. I've, I've played it for a number of years in the, in the bluegrass way, but um, I wanted to, I wanted, I wanted it to sound like what I, which was, you know, just trying to have empathy, man, trying to, uh, trying to have my heart out there and feel what they're going through and also in a way that hopefully people would listen and that song would make a little scratch and we could send it down there. And, and, um, that's my commitment. Uh, that's my commitment is every dime that makes goes to, you know, tornado relief for those families. So we did it. I had the idea. I made the arrangement. I drove to Nashville and recorded it and drove home all on the same day. It was about two days after the tornado. And, uh, you know, shout out to my team for, you know, I didn't do much there. I just sang. My team pulled all this off. So, well, it's, uh, big load to my manager. Everybody. It's a gorgeous rendition of a all-time great song, man. And it's it's funny because my wife, she, I've turned her on to you, and she's become a fan. But the funny thing is her two favorite songs of yours is that and another cover, the Dire Straits So Far Away cover. On, on the distance. <laughs> So this is why know. I never wanted to rediscover this when I was younger. <laughs> Heaven forbid the cover become your biggest song, but I don't know, man. I mean, you can see from both of those songs, like my philosophy, if you're going to do a cover, or either crush it and destroy the original, which is history a couple of times, or you better, you better make it sound like you. And, and hopefully I've pulled off the ladder, you know? Um, yeah. So I've got two And I don't questions. release them meaninglessly. You know, yeah. so far away made sense for that record. That's why it's on that. Yeah. I got two questions left. Uh, we'll, we'll end with, uh, you know, what's next coming down the pipe for you. But 
Before I go, I always have got a quick little game I play with anybody that comes on the podcast or on my old radio show that I don't do any longer. And that is a first concert, last concert, next concert, best concert. Uh, kind of wrap it up. So what was your first concert? First concert that I paid to see, not kind of like a state fair thing, yeah. was a Bush and Goo Goo Dolls. I think that was a co-headline, and the opener was No Doubt. I thought No Doubt sucked. I thought Goo Goo Dolls kicked ass. This is before they converted into a minivan type of band, and and Bush was rad, dude. <laughs> Bush was I, rad. Yeah. What was the last concert you saw? Uh, does this include concerts I'm at? No, no, no. One, uh, something. Okay, you, yeah. The last concert uh, you, you bought a ticket to. Man, I've probably seen something in Nashville recently that's escaping me. Um, but uh, Elton John, one of my top five all time. Seen it, Rupp? I sure did, buddy. I had tickets for two years, and I saw it with my wife and my mom and dad. They played uh, Elton John's year song in my parents' wedding. They played in my wedding, and it, it was uh, it was fantastic. Awesome. Or do you have a next concert that you're holding tickets to? Next concert that I'm holding tickets. I'm probably going to go see Rage on this oh, round. If yeah. And and I'm probably going to go see Bruce and the East Street Band. We saw Bruce on Broadway in September. Oh man, um, which was maybe my best maybe my favorite show of my life if i thought of, i don't know i'm not sure but uh yeah i don't i don't know i, I don't think i'm holding tickets to anything right now it's uh, hard to me because you get tickets and then and then we get booked on a tour and then yeah have to sell those tickets all right well once again thanks for joining me today justin and have you got anything that you can talk about that maybe is coming down the pike as far as uh new music i know you've kind of put a little hints out there that you were in the studio a few weeks ago uh, on like your Instagram story, I think maybe, or yeah. was I reading too much into that? <laughs> no, I got my, no, I got a lot coming at you. Uh, Y'all are going to be tired of me before I'm done with you. No, never, never. Is that too vague? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, uh, once again, thank you so much for coming on with us today. Uh, it's been a great conversation. Uh, it's, justinwellsmusic.com if people want to go on there order some merch is that right uh get your tour dates yep uh, buy an album uh check it out you've also got an awesome biography that you've got if people want to know a little bit more about you that and you know go a little deeper than what we had time to discuss today i, I recommend folks reading that once they get on that site just click on the little about button and uh have you got anything you want to say in closing before we sign off i do brian i want to i want to thank you for what you do for me uh another kentucky artist man i mean like you know i thank everybody that has a minute out of their day to talk to me but dude you you ring the bell and you ring it loudly and we really appreciate you i mean it well that means that means a lot to me especially coming from an artist that i that i love and admire such as yourself man uh i don't you man yeah i mean what i don't get paid for what i do uh i mean i barely do <laughs> Spotify uh, give me a little bit of money per play and I think I've made a whole like eight bucks so far <laughs> but I've spent yeah, much more than that, that. <laughs> yeah so, I mean I'm in the red yeah. but yeah it's a labor of love for me though man I love discovering new music and loving music and then sharing that music with others that I think will love it if they just get to hear it just like the Finks who have turned into a super fan and they didn't know who you were until I sent them the Dawn in the Distance album a few years back and said you gotta listen to this stuff and and, and there it is. 
they're a fine they're a fine couple too man they they show up they surprise me all over the place so it's 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 cool uh this is why we do it man absolutely uh thanks again this has been justin wells i appreciate him and we will let him go uh i think uh he's going to get back on the road in just a couple of days but we'll hopefully let him enjoy a couple of days with his family before he does that thanks again for joining us justin this has been a, a one of my favorite interviews i've ever done and i really appreciate it brother take care brother have a good day man all right you too peace That one show with Brian Combs is brought to you by Thatcher Barbecue Company and is written, produced, and recorded by me, Brian Combs. You can look me up on social media, on Twitter at that one show BC, on Instagram at that one show with Brian Combs, on Facebook at that one show podcast and on Patreon at That One Show. So go follow us along on any of those sites and please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, whichever you prefer. And finally, if you are enjoying this show, I ask from the bottom of my heart that you recommend it to at least one other person with whom you feel would enjoy it as well. Until next time, this has been That One Show with Brian Combs.